All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of the Bill in Public podcast. And I'm your host, KP. And today I am super thrilled to invite Yongsu Chung onto the show. Yongsu, thanks for joining from San Francisco. KP, thanks so much for having me here. You know, I, I feel like I've known you since the beginning of my creator journey. And this is like kind of full circle, man. I, I'm so happy to be here. You've been such an authentic creator, you know, to follow along. And I, I can't remember when I hit follow. I think it's been a, a few months now. And, you know, you've been, you know, such a fun account to follow. You've been such a fun individual to follow uh, and learn from. And uh, the parts, like a couple of things I want to highlight to the listeners, you know, and viewers about you that resonate deeply with me is your story. I think you, you mentioned something about 12 years ago where you got started mm -hmm. in San Francisco with zero. You kind of like classic example of someone who made the most of what was given, you know, to him. And so this whole decade plus journey that you've shared repeatedly on your Twitter really resonates with me. You know, you went from zero to like, you know, now $5 million a couple of times. I think you've said in, in, in your company journey, which we're going to double click into about how you got there. What are some businesses you started? The other thing that resonates a lot is that you're also a fellow podcaster. So I love that. Yeah. You know, you, Recently completed one year of podcasting, so congrats. This is a grind. Thank you. This is not that easy. Huge respect for anyone who goes over 20, 30 episodes. And I loved your podcast. I listened to the last one, the recent episode. And you bring a lot of, you know, um, actionable lessons, like life lessons, I think you want to call you call them, to the listeners. So you, you come off as a very authentic creator. You share, you know, to help, to share, to serve. And you want to help people and, like, genuinely add value. So... Thank you for all that you do on Twitter and in DMs. I've really enjoyed our friendship, virtual friendship, and now I'm getting a chance to spend you know, 40, 50 minutes with you and you know, help uh, everybody else get a sense of who you are too. I, I appreciate that, man. I, um, it's, it's been a fun journey so far. And as you know, the creator journey can be quite grueling at times. Um, but you know, having friends like you, um, you know, supporting my journey, you know, that, that really means a lot. So uh, I appreciate that. So let's start with the Twitter journey, right? I feel like there were, um, your story resonates with a lot of our listeners because, you know, I talk about building in public and all. And one of the hardest, you know, challenges is knowing what is your actual niche to talk about, right? Like there's one thing to think that this could be my niche and then you experiment with it. Uh, but really what resonates with people is something like we can't really predict on day one, right? And you went through the exact for like a uh, loop recently. So can mm -hmm. you share any lessons or any nuggets to someone who's listening and wondering, what is my niche really? Like, how do I identify my niche? Yeah. So, you know, this is a really interesting and tough question to answer. So I really thought about, you know, as a creator, like, how do you differentiate yourself? Because there's so many creators with, you know, everyone talks about being a niche of one, you know, category of one. But how do you actually do that? Because, I mean, at some point, everyone's going to be a category of one. And then it's like... If everyone's a category of one, then no one is a category of, you know what I mean? Like it's at some point, it just kind of, um, yeah, it just kind of blends in. And so the way I thought about it is, you know, there's kind of three parts to finding a niche and I'm talking about a high value niche, right? So when you think about your niche, you also want to think about the pos positioning of that niche. So like what type of audience are you going to attract, right? Um, what type of people are you going to surround yourself with because of the content that you're putting out there? And so the three different areas are the first one is your actual experiences, 
which I think a lot of people, most people would actually, you know, they know what that is because a lot of people talk about that. Right. The second thing is um, perceived authority. And so this is very different from, from real experience because, you know, I could walk into a grocery store and, you know, someone who's like the world researcher, top researcher of like, I don't know, some rare disease might be in there, but I have no clue who that is. You know what I mean? Like, and it's the same thing when you go online, like you could be the best in something, but if you don't position yourself, then no one will know that you're actually the best at at that. Right. So that's the second component to it. And the final component to this, which I think that I haven't heard of anybody talk about is, uh, this supply and demand thing. So, um, when you think about the economics of information, you know, what's out there on, on social media or whatever, you know, essentially you're playing a game of supply and demand. And so if you have experience and you can talk about something that is very unique to you that no one else can talk about, mm-hmm. then the supply is uh, going to be very small, right? Because you're, you're going to be the only one who can really talk about that. But right. then the demand, let's say, no one cares about that, let's say, right? Like, let's say you're, you're an expert in, I don't know, like some like really obscure programming language from like the 19th, you know, 80s or whatever, right? Like you're an expert at this like really niche thing and you could talk about it for hours. But then like, if no one cares about that, then you don't, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So if you have a niche that is, um, you know, low supply, which is what you're going for, low supply in information, but then high demand that's when you're going to get your high value niche. And so what I mean by that is like, um, you know, I'll give you an example. So like when AI first came out, no one knew how to do prompt engineering correctly. And so you have this huge pent up demand of people trying to figure this out. It's like a new wave of, you know, AI is taking over the world. Like, how do I get in front of it? Huge demand. And there was not a lot of information out there, you know, that people, experts out there who knew prompt engineering. And so what you had there was this like perfect combination of like super high demand and very low supply right at the beginning when this was all happening. Right. And that's why like all the AI newsletters just exploded like 100,000, 200,000 subscribers. Like it exploded because people were looking for tools and like, how do I build the next AI tool? And so that was a super high valuable niche at that time. Now, obviously things have gotten, you know, things have changed now the landscape. So there's more players now. And so there's more supply, more supply of information. Uh, and I would argue probably a little less demand as well, because people are getting used to living with AI. Right. And so now it's, it's kind of come down where if I'm trying to be an AI niche creator, like I'm not going to get the same traction as I did like a year ago. Right. Right. So it's this idea of supply and demand. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. I think the third part definitely is underrated. You know, I don't think a lot of people actively intentionally think about it as often. And so with these three components, you know, as I rephrase them or I sort of re bring them back to the surface once again for, for the listeners, it is the supply and demand, which is the third component. Mm-hmm. The second component is perceived authority, mm-hmm. uh, which is what, how do they know, you know, how, how credible you are about what you're talking about. And the first one obviously is real life personal experience, you know, you use these three and you got to the niche of personal holding companies, right? What were some other 
niches you were i guess what 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 were other pit stops before you got to this point what were yeah. some other niches that you had to stop briefly until you got to this point yeah so this is a really good question kp because um you know i struggled for almost a full year finding my niche and like you know it's when i it's frustrating because at the beginning I had all this like experience building this company, like eight years, you know, $20 million total revenue, all that stuff. And so I'm like posting about my experience, but then the people that are responding, there's like, no one cares. And not only that, but like the people, <laughs> what I was like watching people go viral on X. And I'm like, this guy who's, who's like a 20 year old person who has never had any business is going viral with the same content that I'm writing. He has no you know, whatever, uh, experience. And I'm like vo tweeting into their void. Right. And so that was like going right. back to that framework, the three-step framework, like that was, you know, I had one, which was like my experience, but then my perceived authority was basically nothing. Like no one knew what I did. Like, mm. and so, um, I really had to like change that up, but basically, uh, you know, when I first joined Twitter, including, it was like, the funny thing is including keen minds like me. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not like your average sort of like judgy, you know, I guess lurker. I'm like very a active and, you know, always trying to lift people up. And, mm -hmm. and even like, even through my scout radar, I couldn't get to the perceived authority of what you were special about what you, what your authority was, you know, initially. initially and that's yeah. why when you finally broke through that, you know, broke through that bubble and got to that niche and, you know, remember my comments under your threads and so I'm like, hurrah, you know, finally, thank finally. you. Because yeah. I finally get it, right? I finally get it. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, I finally can able, I'm able to complete the puzzle of who, you know, oh, what, what your niche is going to be about, yeah. right? So I was so happy for you when, when that came up. Yeah, no. So basically, you know, I, I decided to start talking more about my experiences, but then talking about like different parts of company building. But to be honest with you, KP, like it was so disjointed. Like I was talking about my, you know, French bulldog business. And then all of a sudden I'm talking about my pocket knife business. And then I have a, you know, a 3PL business for e-commerce brands. And like, it doesn't seem like it's connected in any way, shape or form. And so I started talking more about that to increase my authority, my perceived authority, but it still didn't really catch on because it was so like, okay, if I talk about e-commerce, then I'm going to get e-commerce people. Right. But then if I talk about like logistics, right. I'm going to get more logistics. So basically I was like, how do I like position this and package this together to make it more, more sense. Right. And so when I first came across the personal holding company idea, I was like, this is what I have. And what's crazy KP is that I've been doing this for eight years now and people are now trying to build their personal holding companies. Like even people like, for example, like Anthony Pompliano actually DM'd me after he saw one of my tweets and he was like, let's talk about personal holding company. Like these people are like trying to build their own now. But then all of a sudden I found myself in a position of authority because it's like, all right, like now I'm eight years into this. I can actually talk about it. Mm. And all of a sudden we go back to that supply and demand thing. Like supply is very low. Like not a lot of people can say they've built a personal holding company for eight years and the demand all of a sudden it's, it's a really hot topic. Like hold, holding companies in general is like a very hot topic. And so demand was high, right now. but this yes. really spe specific niche of personal holding company is not a lot of supply of people talking about it. And so all of a sudden, mm. like my stock went up in terms of like, you know, my content started getting more engagement. Uh, people were following me. People who I thought I would never be able to reach started 
following me, like these bigger accounts. And I'm like, all right, there's something here. And so that's how I, I found, you know, my niche. But it, it took me a while and it, it, it took me really it's about packaging kp like it's not about like yeah like i was saying the same stuff but it's more that now right. it's it's like this is how it works together and everyone's like right. okay i got it now yeah right a packaging and also i think you know it's one of those things where the wand picks the wizard kind of thing i always joke about this where you really don't know this on day one if you knew this if somehow i showed up at your doorstep on day one of your new twitter journey and said Oh my God, Young Su, this is going to be your niche and you're going to be like, nah, you know, mm, I don't know. You're not going to have the conviction. The conviction comes from the experience of going through the, the, the desert, you know, like it's, it's this sort of the, the rocky path that you take builds this thick skin and the muscle and everything. And so when you finally see signal in the sea of noise, you're like, okay, that now I get it. Right. Otherwise you don't have conviction. You just have a potential niche. So I remember going through the same thing in 2018, I was tweeting about uh, philosophy. Like if you followed me from back then, like, oh, God bless you. Um, <laughs> anyone who follows the guy, I, I have so much respect for them because I've gone through eight niches, like wow. no code was a later one, but I'm saying like in the beginning it was like philosophy and then Buddhism. I went to Buddhist camps and stuff like that. I tweeted a lot about that. I tweeted a lot about esoteric things about what is the self, you know, what is the, what is the, you know, all these meta things. And then I tweeted about, um, I used to tweet about the community building, you know, tweet about product hunt as a niche. And I went, cycled through basically all these and I really didn't feel resonance from the community. It was a like here, a comment here, but it wasn't like I was getting the big names to DM me or a wave of, you know, small names to res resonate until I hit up on two things. One was no code in 2020. It was, it was like anything I could tweet was going viral. I had a Midas touch. Anything I did was like, oh my God, you know, this, that. But partly because I had proof of work of 15 no-code projects I built in public. So it's mm -hmm. undeniable proof. Like with you, the same thing with eight years of traction is undeniable proof, right? And I would get pings from like Eric Thornburg who ran on deck. And that's really why I got my job because he was noticing that KP was at the forefront of this wave of something called no-code. And I was hired to be the no-code director at um, on deck. So that was the niche for two years from 2020 to 2022. and then. Slowly, I pivoted away from just no code to building in public because the same thing happened again. Like there was a lot of resonance, but I didn't know this playbook on October, 2020, uh, 2018, you know, it, it just is serendipitous. So really it's just, it's a painful journey, right? Like you can't make it easy for anybody. Sometimes some people ask me, what is the hack? What is the shortcut? I'm like this. I wish there was a shortcut. <laughs> I will give you the shortcut, but you won't have conviction on that. Right. Would you I, agree? I think I would agree. I think that everyone needs to go through this period of experimentation. And honestly, it's like almost like, uh, you know, it's like the, you know, when you first try to become like a, I don't know, a monk or something like, you you know, the first months are going to be like, you're going to question your existence. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? But then you got to um, get through that. You got to get through it. Yeah. And then once you're, but once the you get magical that, part though is, somehow it comes back to something deep within you. That mm. part is for sure. Like it didn't, it, the, the resonating part from the audience didn't come and tarnish uh, the fact that it's something that you personally care about. It is still something you actually care about, like the topic, right? So it's not some esoteric thing about dentists or whatever, right? It's something you still like personally, it's something about you. Same thing with me building in public. It's not, even though it came from the audience, it wasn't like, 
uh, I don't know, like vegan cooking recipes. It was actually something I care about, chipping in public, right? right? So ultimately comes back to the source within you. But we don't know uh, which of those elements of us that would become the niche until you kind of test every element, you know? So going back to your story one more time, I actually, there were, there were so many inflection points that you, you tweet about, you know, in your e-commerce journey and then the pocket knife thing. I actually want to get a sense of like, summarize this, this odyssey that you've been on from the lens of inflection points, as in like, I did mm. X and then I did Y and then I did Z and give us maybe some numbers to contextualize each inflection point. You're talking about just creator journey or just everything? Yeah, I'm talking about no, no, no founder journey. Founder journey. All right. So I started my career uh, in finance in New York City. And we'll speed wow. through that part. But basically, I was a trader on Wall Street. Um, and then I realized that, you know, I didn't see myself surrounding, you know, in a finance career for the rest of my life. And so the way I thought about this was like, do I see my future self five to 10 years on the road, hanging out with the same people that I'm hanging out with at that point, surrounded by people and, and just communities that I want to be part of? And the answer was no. I actually went to a few meetups in New York City for startups and technology. And like, there's like one, two people that showed up. It was so, like, it was like just pretty much like it was sad, right? And so I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta get myself out of here. And so I bought my one way ticket to San Francisco. Yeah, this is back in. Uh, Which end year of was this? 2012? 2011. 2011. Yeah, it was actually October 2011. So it's been what, exactly 12 years now? 12 years. Yeah, that's awesome. Insane. Yeah. So, um, 12 years ago, I came here, I, just one suitcase, and I didn't have a place to live, and I didn't have a you job. You didn't have family there. You didn't have anybody there. No family. I just, I just knew one high school friend and one college friend. That was it. Honestly, it felt like I don't know. This is this Wait, did you is have probably a job what there. Like this, I, in the I city? didn't have a job. Like, didn't have a job. Wow, wow, that is a true one way ticket story. Wow, one way ticket story. Yeah. So I, this is I feel like that's how a lot of immigrant like they feel when they first land in a new yeah. new environment. I mean, obviously it's country, right. same country, so a little bit different, but still like I you know, I didn't know anybody, you know. So for 3 months I was sleeping on the floor of my high, my high school friend's apartment, a small apartment, and I was like obviously trying to save as much money so I was eating burritos every single day for like, you know, 7 bucks or something. Um and I was like going out there and try networking my tail off, meeting other you know, startup business development people. And cause I came from finance, like business development was the easier path. I couldn't get into engineering. Right. So I was doing a lot of that. And then finally I landed a job. And then after that I landed, I was able to get an apartment. And so wow. that's the origin story of how everything kind of, um, you know, started here. I guess I kind of almost start, started my life over in a way. And, yeah. and you were, so when you got that job in SF, yeah. how old were you? I was 25, 26, maybe wow. so around there. That must be, you're like 37 now or 36? 37. 37. I'm 35, yeah. man. That's that. Yeah. This is, there's something about like, I think people who get to reboot their life in like twenties, you know, I think there is a sense of like depth and, and I feel a sense of like longevity that you have you know that um, you're not doing this on a whim. You know, you have chosen this particular thing. Like I feel the same thing because in 2011, I moved to America in, in August wow. from India. And I was a very, it was a one, like it was a one way ticket, clearly. I haven't left, you know, I've <laughs> been, I've went a couple of times to visit, but like it was definitely a one way ticket. It was not a turning ticket. And just the same way you were talking about, I came here with a purpose. I think there's a sense of purpose when you do something like that. 
because I had a decent like computer um almost like a computer consulting job in in Chennai in India. So I left that and did this. So the the purpose similar is story that I think keeps us yeah. But anyway, so tell me walk us through the inflection yeah. point. So this is you got your first job yeah. And then uh, I worked there for two and a half years. And and um, to be honest, I I had a lot of fun at this first startup. Uh, we I mean this is during the heydays of startup culture where like free lunches you you're like shooting nerf nerf gun like across the office like this is that those days right i think those days are not happening anymore but um yeah we used to play nerf basketball after lunch each day it was just it was insane um and i actually wrote about um we we used to test candidates when they joined our team we used to play uh settlers of Catan, the board game to assess whether or not um yeah this is but honestly it actually worked because you know we're in business development so we had to um learn how to negotiate. There's a little bit of negotiation there. And then you also like, you're going to be down right. at times. It's how you react. And so like, it was actually a pretty good assessment, but it was just, I, mean, I don't know if that would fly now is, um, but anyways, <laughs> right. I guess now you would get canceled or something. Or you yeah, would get, get canceled a, and then episode discrimination. On Valley now if you did that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, so <clears throat> I had a blast there and then the company was starting to not do so well. And so I was actually looking into my next options. And right around that time, actually, the company let me go. And so I didn't have, so I didn't have a job again. But this time around, I kind of knew I wanted to go to this boot camp for software engineering. And there was one boot camp in San Francisco that was like pretty strong. It's a strong program. And I actually applied and um, I actually got, I, I got denied for that program. <laughs> wow. And so I was like, okay, that was my plan. Cause that I was, was a like, gut punch, wasn't it? It was a gut punch. And I, 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 I remember this. I wrote back to that email and I said, listen, I have to do this program. Like I have no other option. I'm going to do this program. <laughs> what do you need me to do to get into this program? I remember this and they wrote back and said, okay, well, um, build a few websites, show us that you can, you know, be at least at some level. And so like I spent probably, I mean, let's think about it. Like I was just let go. I have like, basically not a lot of safety net or whatever. Like I had to build myself back up. And so I was like working 24 seven on this like program. I was like learning how to code. And like, I built like hangman on online and like, I don't know, it was just a bunch of r random projects. I sent it to them and, and I got in. And so <laughs> it was crazy because I, you know, I was so thankful that they, they took me on. I mean, it was a really challenging program, but um, I mean, this was a huge inflection point because if you think about it, I could have given up at that moment saying like, oh, I didn't get into this program. I'm just going to go find another job somewhere else, um, you know, but I, I'm like, no, this is what I want. And you're going to tell me how I'm going to be able to get into this program. I'll just do whatever yeah. it takes, but like, I'm going to get in. Like, that was the only path forward for me. Right. Um, the level of so grit sometimes, right. Like it just really, you know, blows my mind. I think especially, I feel like now, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like, this reminds me of like, of stories that I had in my twenties, you know, when I had to hustle in the same way, and I'm thinking like, man, I kind of have it easy now. Right? We kind of have yeah. it easy now. Like we're worried about yeah. dumb, like thousands dumb of things. followers, 2000 followers <laughs> or not like nothing. I remember, um, there was a, there was an exam called GRE, right? I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, uh, yeah. this is the way like a lot of immigrants come to America. And I took that exam and I was at this job, which was paying me. $200 a month and the exam was $200. So basically my whole month, month salary was the price of the exam. And I got a, what I would consider good enough score, but you're coming from India and India has got a billion people and good enough is not good enough, right? You, you need like, <laughs> so I talked to one of my 
cousins who ma made it to America through a master's program and she went to uh, UPenn and she said, she looked at my score and she said, this is good to get an admission. But she said, do you want an admission? Do you want an admission plus scholarship? And I was like, damn, because I don't have the money to, to pay for my university fee, which is 70K. 60k whatever for masters two years and i had to retake the exam by waiting two months by paying half the fee because the fee is 200 dollars i didn't have the money so i saved one hundred dollars each month for two months do i get to the point of 200 dollars and then pay that for the gre exam exam and to take it i remember for the two months every single night after my day job i would come home and study for four hours five hours straight and my english was terrible back then because i grew up in india and like you know i didn't have a lot of i would watch two hours of friends and then i would take two hours of tests <laughs> like the prep material and friends was you know the easy way to kind of like laugh and also learn about the language and finally the second time around i got i think in the state i got the top one percent score or something nice but literally like you, there's no and then by the way the long story short i got the full scholarship at vanderbilt amazing full scholarship and i don't know how much yadi played a role but definitely had a factor apart from other things so it's it's one of those things where you you can actually negotiate with reality if you are willing to just persevere and have the grit. You know, you don't have to accept, right? And which is something that I think we forget now. As I got, forget. I guess I got yeah. bigger and like more successful later. And I feel like now I just accept reality. I'm like, yeah, whatever. But you can actually renegotiate with it. You know, that's such a powerful concept that I actually I never put it in that terms where you can negotiate with life. Like life gives you something yeah. that you don't like, and then you can say, no, I'm gonna take it back. Make this work. Yeah, redo yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Because think about that. Today you got like this mountain of social proof and this amazing success. I feel like that young Sue was a more more bad. I always think about this, by the way. I always think about like in my daily meditations, I always visualize my younger self. And dude, there were so many pitfalls and so many dead ends I run into, ran into. I'm sure you've run into where mm -hmm. I could have given up. I could have just chosen the safe nine to five path and just got like some damn job at Deloitte or some kind of consulting. And that would have been the story. And all of those KPs and all of those versions and all of those dead ends chose to take one step further so that today mm. I can live and I can have this convo with you. How fucking cool is that? That Those KPs are the real badasses. Today I'm just like living off of there. It's kind of like the inheriting the throne from your dad. You know, you're like, I'm just the prince. Like, my, you know, so I feel the same way about you. The way you're telling me these stories are like all those young Sue's were those were the versions who were like absolute badass. And I mean, now, I mean, I'm saying, I'm just saying like, you know, just kind of offer gratitude to the younger versions of ourselves instead of thinking of, man, I could have done something. I could have, you know, something more. So yeah, no, I totally yeah. agree with you. Um, um, yeah. And then give me some so more. I want, I want a couple more inflection points. I'll give you a few more here. So, um, remember when I told you earlier that I started my life over because I left finance, right? Yes. It comes back. So, <laughs> I went to this software engineering bootcamp for three months, which kicked my butt, but I survived. <laughs> and um, a company called Ripple came to recruit yeah. at the end of the program. And they said, right. Young Su, you know, you have an amazing um, background in trading because you've been working at literally on Wall Street for two years. And I said, you're right. Like, I am now a software engineer and I have experience actually trading on the floor uh, on Wall Street, right? As you know, as a, mm. a trader on a hedge fund desk, trading desk. And so right. they saw that and they're like, pretty much like it was an immediate hire. I didn't have any technical tests that I had to pass through. By the way, I, two days before that Ripple interview, KP, I bombed 
a technical interview with another company. And uh, wow. they actually stopped the interview in the middle of the interview and, and said, hey, we're done. Like, get out of, get out of the building. <laughs> they escorted me out of the building. I'm so, I was supposed to have four interviews that day. I was done after the second one. Right. <laughs> and so, and then I went, so two days before this interview, I was like, oh my God, it's like, I'm never going to be able to find a job. Why? But, but then uh, for some reason, I mean, sometimes, you know, the, the universe will just, um, it's easier. Sometimes it's easier to go one way. Right. So like the job at Ripple was very, very, it came easy to me because I've had this finance background. And, uh, and so I guess the lesson here is that you may think that you're starting over. Let's say someone's working right now at a nine to five at some company. And you're like, oh man, like if I give this up, I'm going to lose all my experiences. Like, what am I doing? That is not the case because you still yeah. have those experiences and that knowledge. You can come back. That you can create, like you can create something out of that later on. It'll come back to you. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like uh, what, remember Steve Jobs took the calligraphy lesson one time and right. then like, you know, Macintosh had these beautiful fonts, like literally like so random, but. It's, it's just how it is. Yeah. It's just how it is. And so, um, the finance background, I thought I, I had pretty much thrown away, but it actually came back to me and there was a huge ROI on that because now I got a job at ripple and, um, you know, that company that did, did really well. And, and, um, that kind of like, I learned a ton from that. And now I was able to start my own company coming out of that. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot of lessons so to unpack in there at the ripple until you started your own thing. A uh, year and a half. Nice. Yeah. So. So that. So what gave you sort of, I guess, the 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 aha moment or the inflection point to go start your own thing? Yeah. So I really enjoy my time at Ripple. In fact, um, I think the company is fantastic. I just looking back on it now in hindsight, our team was rolling. I mean, we were like pushing out. You know, it was a small team, like five of us, and we were just crushing it. Um, and I was really, really proud of our team and like, you know, we're doing so well, but then the regulations just hit us. And this is back in 2015, very early stages of regulation, which obviously, as you probably know, isn't, it's not even clear at this point, right? The regulations of crypto, but, um, right. yeah, it started hitting us. And basically the leadership team said, Hey, you guys got to like, stop what you're doing because, because we started moving actual money around the blockchain. Like we had, we were moving from uh, Mexican pesos into USD and like that was being done on the blockchain, which is like really crazy because the company hadn't moved any, uh, you know, real value on the blockchain yet. Like from a commercial mm. use usage perspective. Yeah. We can send right. money. Like I can send money to you. You can send money to me, but it was not like we actually had a, a service, like a remittance service that was like willing to use the blockchain. And they're like, all right, we need to stop here because it's, it's, it's getting a little hairy. And so like we were blocked from going any further and literally like we would go in and like, we, you know, we, something, we, we actually went to go see a, a Pixar movie as a team together. Cause we literally had nothing to do. It was, it was crazy. Um, and I'm someone that I need to be like moving forward. Like I'm very, I get really antsy when, when I can't move, move forward. And so, uh, I right. knew at that point right. that I was, it was time to leave. Uh, and so, mm. um, yeah, that's kind of my, my, my inflection point on that one. And did you, so I guess the first company started was, was that the, uh, e-commerce uh, company? Yeah. So urban EDC and that's, uh, it's like the flashlight pocket knife business. Yeah. 
Right. And that you grew all the way to. So give, give us a sense of like how big that grew and is it still around? Yeah, it's still around. Um, last year we did 3.3 million in top wow. line revenue for just that company. So nice. um, we got a couple different companies in my personal holding company. Um, yeah, but so the, that is a big chunk of your portfolio, correct? At least in the, in the personal is. holding yes. company. And what are some others? Like the French, the Bulldog? Fr yep, French Bulldog business, um, which by the way is, um, it's it's a lot of fun to do because like, we get to go on trips with our dogs and like it's all pretty much tax deductible because we yeah. take a lot of photos and right. you know, we get sponsorships for these deals. Like we're staying at a five-star um, hotel in Sonoma in a, in a month and that's all that's all free. We just have to provide content. Wow. And so, so what was the, sorry, that business is, is an Instagram account and a content business, yes. correct? It's a media business. And we have a, a, an e-commerce component as well. Oh, wow. So in a way, it's like a creator business with uh, a yeah. heavy emphasis on the uh, e-com side. Right. So that's two. What's the third? Is it a third or fourth? The, the third one is uh, GrowthJet, which is the uh, climate neutral certified third-party logistics company for other oh. e-commerce brands. And so that came about because we were getting a lot of interest for fulfillment because pe people hate, if you know e-commerce, like people hate fulfillment. Uh, it's the biggest pain yeah. point. And so um, right. we took it in-house and then people were asking us about fulfillment. And um, so we launched with a few private clients and we didn't have a website and we didn't have, have a name, <laughs> but we have paying clients. And so at that point we're like, all right, let's wow. make this a real thing. So we launched uh, GrowthJet uh, and just moved into a thirty-nine thousand square foot warehouse. Um, and so, yeah, that one is 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 uh, going strong. So that was the latest one. And then I guess, and then, of um, course, your your current personal brand yeah. and the content business, right? Yes, exactly. So that this one, I I'm open minded to see where it goes. Um, it's not really a business, I would say yet, uh, but I I see kind of like seeds of what it could be and that's what's really exciting to me is like with this personal hold co stuff like i think i'm going to create some products around that um right but basically i'm keeping an open mind because um i just feel like with this creator game you 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 never know what's going to come you know what i mean like right. the opportunities and so um not a business yet but probably will be the f the fourth business yeah right I love it. I love the diversity of all these four. I think the first question that I get when I mention sort of all the things that I do, because I'm kind of like you too, I kind of spread out across the fellowship and then there's the, which I would consider my version of your personal brand business, which is the content mm -hmm. business. And then uh, of course, some SaaS businesses and things like that. The first question that I keep getting, which I'm tossing to you is, how do you balance all the four? And you know, like basically how do you operate like this? You know, don't you think that you should just focus on one and this kind of grow that for three decades. I know my answer, but I'm curious your answer. Yeah, so I actually get, I get asked this quite a lot. Uh, and so the answer really is um, you, you gotta build up your team and your team has yeah. to just take everything over from you. And so um, mm. it took me a long time to figure this out because I was actually up until last year, I was still working in the business in a couple of these. So yeah. The warehousing business was something that I, uh, you know, I used to go into the warehouse almost every day because I had to like make sure personnel was good, all that. But now I, I haven't gone in the warehouse in like a month and um, I have a really strong mm -hmm. general manager who just takes care of everything for me. I talk to him 
on Slack every day, but it's not like, you know, he just asks me questions about different things. It's like very, very like, you know, it's the high level stuff, but like, um, having a GM that you can trust is a game changer. It's a big, uh, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. And so that's really been, been my secret here. And I, I'll give you one framework that I think about is, um, I call it the I, we, they framework. And so when you first start a company, you're the one kind of like building everything because it's a, you know, it's like a new, it's like having, it's like a baby. It's like your new baby. But then once you grow it, um, you can start getting people in and, and maybe hiring or maybe start working with an, a, a virtual assistant or something. But you, you want to work with them on it together, right? And, and so you, you kind of problem solve together and be like, what works, what doesn't work? And then you graduate into like the they for- portion of this, which is they are handling it, everything for you. And like, all you got to do right. is make sure that it's running smoothly, but they're doing all right. the day-to-day stuff, right? So right. it's the I, we, they framework. And I, I apply that to almost every project that I'm, that I have. For example, like my newsletter too now and my podcast, like I, ha- I have an executive assistant who helps me with a lot of that. And so right. I don't, yeah. It's, so it's, it's this concept of the uh, start. You're still the editorial, you know, I think you're still the editorial, um, you know, voice, but I'm sure like a lot of that is, you know, you know, operated by people. I mean, that's something I'm learning too is, um, and I've, I'm, I'm actually really enjoying it where I, I don't need to be in control to be in control. You know, I, I'm realizing that there's this, like my team has been giving such great feedback this year about how KP, we love that you're not a micromanager. And I'm shocked because I thought that's just how everybody <laughs> worked, but apparently the bar is so low that if you don't micromanage somebody, you're considered like almost like a saint. And I don't micromanage others because I don't like to be micromanaged myself. You know, if you tell right, me something right. and want me to do it, I will go do it. You don't need, I don't need you to text me every hour or like give me an update. Like I'm very high trust, you know, in that sense, which is I'm learning that it's a thing and vice versa. So when I recruit, I look for high trust. So I, I have projects or micro projects that I give during interview process that are loosely defined. So I understand that they can ask me questions and like, do you operate? And so we have this really funny, you know, um, a company culture where I say anything on a scale of zero to 10, less than eight, any, any issue that's less than eight in terms of seriousness and burning, you know, hair on fire, problem solve yourself. Don't come to me. And I, I will, that. I will live with the outcome you bring me. Like for example, if the outcome is negative or unfavorable, I will live with it. It's fine because you're training, you're learning, right? Anything yes, over yes. eight, come to me. Right. And so they made this a meme now and Vela was my, yeah, <laughs> she made, uh, because she DM me on the weekend for something, um, young, young, and it was about some issue. And I said, is this, is this less than eight or higher than eight? And she said, well, you know, and yeah, maybe, and then she corrected herself and said, you know what? I can handle this. And so every time we do a team sync, um, now they have a meme of me in Chamath's clothes. If you remember, there was a meme where he <laughs> says, this is below my line. Oh and my so God. there's a meme of me in the company where I'm like doing this thing. This is below my line. Don't bring it to me. Right? <laughs> and I think the lesson there to me, and hopefully that resonates with you is a lot of people don't need this kind of dictatorial leadership that you think they need. You know, human beings, I think operate at their best and their happiest and brightest. If you let them be, you know, they look, they need guidance and direction, but real leadership is invisible leadership. I think, you know, you don't need to be, yeah. you know, no president is at the front of the army, right? But you need to inspire them, give them direction, but you don't need to sit there and do the work for them, right? Um, so yeah. I try to, the, the more I learn about this, I'm like, wow, this is actually a hack. Like, I'm surprised not many people are doing this. I mean, they are probably, but um, you just have to let people be and they'll surprise you. I mean, they'll, every once in a while, I think every 20 people I run into, 
I will have one bad experience, but that's the price you have to pay. You know, you can't always be mistrusting, you know, um, low trust. I think, I think you got to give people the benefit of the doubt and, um, yeah. it's gotta be based on, on trust. Everything has to be based on trust. And I mean, I go as, you know, as far as like my employees, they want, you know, there's some, like one of them is, is trying to create a, a golf, like a personal brand around golf. And so like, nice. on one hand, I like battle with myself. I was like, do I want him to like really work on this? Like while working at my company, but then, you know, I'm teaching personal holding company, so I can't fault him for, for like listening to my podcast episodes and like, you know, trying it himself. And so I encourage it. I'm like, right. Hey, if you need help, any tips or whatever, like you can talk to me anytime. I'm, I'm happy to help you with your right. personal brand also. And so like, if you think about it, what that sends the message is like, wow, like my boss is willing to like invest his own time into growing something that's yeah. not even part of his company. Right. And so like, that's actually, he's working like so much and so hard now because of this like level of like trust yeah. that just goes beyond the, you know, the working environment. Right. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's another thing I've learned too, is that it's just to like, not kind of dictate things for them, do what's best for them and let them be. It's kind of like what you would do for your kids. You know, like I have a two and a half year old toddler. I love him, Neo. And this is the relationship that I want to have with him. One day he's going to be 17, 18. It's going to be too cool for dad. I want him <laughs> to feel like he has a, he has a high trust with me that he can come to me if he needs any advice or guidance, but I don't want to dictate what major he should do or what, you know, um, cause I've had so much pressure like that, you know? Um, and so I don't want that, you know, I think so it's, it's, it's about kind of putting other people's interests, you know, and then hoping that they'll reciprocate, but if they don't kind of still offering kindness and moving on. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. I got, I got, um, we got a few, just a few minutes left. So I'm going to do a rapid fire round with you. And this is something new I've been trying with our guests. So are you ready? Let's do a, it's KP. Gonna be a fun one. I got a few questions. Um, all right, let's do this. Okay. First one, favorite cuisine, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept it because I love pizza too, but otherwise, all right. Uh, favorite book you wish you had read much sooner? Anything by uh, Jim Collins. So I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, but um, his stuff is brilliant and I refer to him all the time. So all of his books by Jim Collins. Wow. Yeah. I, I have to go, I have to go try one. And these questions, by the way, uh, they, they get, they're lighter at the beginning, but they get sort of deeper as we speak, as we go through <laughs> them. Okay. Third one is favorite artist or musician that hypes you up this this one's gonna be a, a very strange answer for most of your audience but um i listen to k-pop and so oh there's a new group that's it's it's gonna sound really weird but they're all like 14 year old like they're there's like five girls 14 years old and they're amazing they're called new jeans the question is, and uh new jeans they're, yeah, okay they're, they're they're crushing it and um i mean you should ask my wife, but like I, I, I sing those songs on karaoke. We went to karaoke and with my friends, and uh, it was embarrassing. But there's, um, there's, there's no shame. I, I, um, the other day my wife caught me singing some Taylor Swift, and she was like, "I didn't realize you were a Taylor Swift." I'm like, "Who isn't a Taylor Swift fan, right? Like, who is it?" Yeah. So, that's awesome. Okay, number four. What's your favorite project or phase in your career? Yeah, this one, I, I think I'd have to say what I'm doing right now, which is you know sharing my knowledge with people and inspiring them to go out and do do their own i mean it's been a lot of fun and um you know I, I initially i actually wanted to be anonymous kp i wanted to be wealthy but anonymous but i've changed my viewpoint on that and now i'm i'm so happy when people message me and say hey like yeah i listened to that episode you did on your podcast and it changed my life like people have dm'd me this and i'm like that's yeah. insane and like i'm so happy yeah. to hear that so yeah 
I, I resonate with that so much. I feel the same thing. I used to feel the same way. I'm like, I don't want a fame. I don't want this status. And I realize you, it's not really a status game or a fame game. I don't ever want to be like, uh, like Eminem level famous on the street, right? <laughs> but I want to be impactful. So I want to be more like Warren Buffett, you know, level yes. impactful or, or, you know, take any other example, right? Where it's a sense of respect that you get from people. Like Oprah, you know, like when I, I like one of the, Three people in my life that I would love to meet is Oprah, and I don't think it's about fame. It's it's really about the impact that she you know she's had. So, right, right. All right, number five. How would your parents describe what you do for a living? I don't. I don't. I feel like I don't at even, this point they probably get, <laughs> yeah. You know, I talk to my parents, and they'll be like, "Oh, how's the shipping business going? How's the knife business going?" It's like that, and it's it's like it's so weird because I have so many different things that it's I can't even describe. It's just. How's now? It's just house business. That's it. So. House business. Yeah. They're probably just happy that you're happy. I'm curious though. Do they know the podcast side of it? Like, I'm curious how did yeah. they per- how do they perceive a podcast? They know about the podcast, and I think they listen to it actually. I, you know, I track what? the downloads on um, these charts, and like, I mean, South Korea. I mean, who's listening to these types? I don't know. Like, I feel like it's a very niche thing, and it's not. I'm speaking English, right? Korea is a very like. I don't know. It just feels like I see it sometimes like climbing up the charts. And I'm like, oh, like my mom is downloading all those episodes right now. Like, <laughs> she's, she's passing around at the WhatsApp group or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shout out, mom. My mom, the cutest thing is that she calls what I have a broadcast. And every time she does that, oh. I, I so want to correct it. I'm like, mom, that's not a broadcast. It's called a podcast. But I don't because I let it be. It's a reminder of sort of the innocence and where I came from, right? I'm like, wow, it's just, you know, she doesn't know what a podcast is. She thinks I'm on radio or something. Um, <laughs> anyway, so if Jeff Bezos calls you and offers you an unlimited supply of one item from Amazon, what would you pick? I'm going to have to go with pallet wrap on this, which is insane, right? Because, uh, I mean, who Wait, wants... What is it? What's a pallet wrap? It's for the fulfillment, for fulfillment business. We have to wrap pallets. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> spoken like a true logistics, you know, I know entrepreneur. Right? Oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. That's so funny. That's so funny. Um, okay. What's your, this is a little, a little deep. Um, what is your definition of success? Yeah. I, I, I ultimately KP, I, I think success just means, uh, happiness. Right. And on, mm-hmm. and this is a very, you know, so it means different things to different people. So if, if like for me, I have very ambitious goals. And so I, I mean, I try to be happy, but then, you know, obviously there's next levels that I got to keep achieving um but like there are other people who are you know there's like monks that are happy with like no material possessions and like sometimes i'm like jealous i'm like wow i wish i could be built that way where i can just like be so grateful and happy for you know just like living yeah Uh, and so i i have to remind myself a lot of that like just hey like you don't need any of this like you can just be happy yourself and so like it's a very like deep and philosophical like question that i have with myself a lot which is like like, why am I chasing this? Right? Like, yeah. what's the point of it? But then, like, right. I don't know. I just feel like business is a game and I like to win. So it's. Yes. I mean, yeah. I feel the same in a way. Like, I have a perfect blend of almost 50 50. 50% of my friends are ambitious, want, they're aspiring billionaires. And I feel like I resonate with them. And then the other 50% I have from my Buddhist days and like the, the, some of these, you know, retreat centers I've been to, they're like just, they're just happy and content. And even like the fellowship, there's a couple of friends that I have were very peaceful. Andrew, shout out if he's listening. Uh, and I, when I talked to him, you know, he does meditation stuff and I'm like, wow, so peaceful, so calm. And <laughs> he's just happy being at a beach, like drawing in, you know, on the sand or something. So like it, my brain's always like switching between, you know, ambition 
to discontentment, you know? And so it's like, you know, it's, it's just, you got two parts of it. And I, I just accepted that that's where I am. You know, I can't change any one or the other, you know, but okay. Last one. Um, what is the proudest part of your story? What, you know, in, of your career, of your, of your life so far. Yeah. So a big shift happened for me when I started thinking about the families that I'm impacting through my own company. And so this is not about me and, and my wife and our two, two French Bulldogs. This is about, you know, the employees that are working They're They're basically have chosen to work for me out of all the other opportunities that they could be doing. And, um, you know, when I think about that, it's, that is like really, you know, meaningful to me. And, um, the fact that they're, I'm like responsible for not only them, but their family's livelihoods, like that's heavy, you know? Uh, and so, um, I'm really like grateful and, um, happy to have that kind of impact. Um, and to be honest, like a lot of solopreneurs, you know, they miss out on this. I don't know. It's like they think of managing employees as a pain. And I would say for sure, there's a lot of pain aspects to it. But, you know, you're making a real difference in these families' lives. And I, I, I feel like yeah. there's something to that, you know? So, yeah, I agree. I'm on the same camp too, which is funny because I feel like we've said a lot of things that I agree with, you know, especially this one. I'm on the camp of like building a, you know, team and kind of really impacting them and helping them. Because I don't, you know, I don't think of them as sort of a burden. I think some of this is a personality thing, maybe, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I always kind of resonate with people and things like that. Um, and like, yeah, so I couldn't agree more. I, I don't think I would ever be a, I could never be a solopreneur forever. You know, uh, I just not, not my jam at all. Thank you so much for being here, man. It's been such a pleasure. The 55 minutes of official recording went by so quick. I appreciate you a lot. Thanks for that authentic energy put out on Twitter and today. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, so um, my podcast is at firstclassfounders.com and you can just search First Class Founders on Apple or Spotify or whatever. Um, do a lot of deep dives on my business philosophy and, and all sorts of stuff there. I'm also pretty active on Twitter also, as, as KP mentioned. So I'm at uh, Yong Su Chung. That's Y-O-N-G-S-O-O-C-H-U-N-G. And I'm pretty active in DMs also. So if you feel inspired by my story here, then just shoot me a DM. You know, I'd be happy to talk to you. So... That's awesome. I'm going to include all of these in the show notes. And once again, thank you so much for being here and can't wait to continue our friendship and keep rooting you know, for you. Thanks, KP, man. I, this is this is a blast. And I'm, I'm so glad that we connected on this deeper level today. So thank you. Me too. Thank you. All right. And that's a wrap.